Good morning. Scripture reading this morning is John chapter 15. John chapter 15, these are the words of Jesus. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I have commanded you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I have, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, <clears throat> so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. If the world does, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted, persecuted you, they will also persecute. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they did not know him who sent me. If you had not come, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, which proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning.
Please open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. This morning our text is verses 15 to 17. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. This is the word of the Lord. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. What do you love? That question really is the single most fundamental question in life. What do you love? In the passage that Brian read, the Apostle John there spoke of love and the way we love God and the way God loves us. What we love and how we live out of that love is, again, the most fundamental truth to what it means to be Christian. From this text, I'd like to argue that to love God is to see in Him fulfilling pleasure, perfect beauty, and ultimate purpose. Anything that replaces this primary love towards God will lead to our discontentment and will ultimately pass away. I'll repeat that. To love God is to see in Him fulfilling pleasure, perfect beauty, and ultimate purpose. Anything that replaces this primary love towards God will lead to our discontentment and ultimately pass away. So this morning I'd like to uh, spend a little bit of time examining the specific words and language in this text, and then to make three applications um, at the end for us. The first question we want to ask of this text is, what is love? Love is one of the primary words in this book and also in the book of In the Gospel of John, love is something that John interacts with a lot. And we use the word love in the English language in in many different ways. We may say, I love ice cream. We may say, I love my family. And we also say, I love God. And we say, "I, I love my wife. Well, in truth, none of those loves are, they're they're somewhat related to each other, but they're really quite different. And so in this text, what sort of love are we considering? 
Well, I think within the text we find the definition. That this love has something to do with desire. Where he says, if anyone loves the world... In verse 15, and then in verse 16, he describes what loving the world looks like. It's seeking the desires of the flesh. It's seeking the desires of the eye and finding pride in in life or accomplishment. And so in this text, love is exercised in the language of desire. Love is to take pleasure in something, to have affection for it. And so in, in critiquing our loves, he's, he's asking us to consider what is it that we primarily exercise out of our loves? And so we must be careful about what we love and we must consider where our loves are oriented. At a real level, love is a baseline indication of what we value. Love is a baseline indication of what we value. Most of us drove a car here, and right in front of the driver is a set of gauges. And those gauges exist to tell us important information. So that as you drive your car, you can do so functionally and with a measure of peace. And so you'll have a gauge that tells you how fast you're going, Uh, You'll have a gauge that tells you maybe the temperature of the engine. And you'll have a gauge that tells you the RPMs. But you don't have a a gauge that tells you your oxygen levels that come from the mass airflow sensor. You don't have that one. Um, Neither do you have a gauge that tells you the temperature of the air coming into the engine. If you're a mechanic, those are very important things to diagnose if an engine is operating properly. But for you to drive that car... You don't need that information. You need the critical information that says, is my car functioning well? And am I going at satisfactory speed? And am I about out of gas? Because your purpose is to get somewhere. Well, in in the pathway of life, love, our loves, should be one of the big gauges right in the middle of where we're going. Because what we love and the level at which we love it is an indicator of what we truly value. And so love can be found in our most fundamental orientation towards things, towards people, or towards the world. What we love shows in our direction, shows in the things we choose, Shows in the way we interact with people. In many ways, love displays what we worship. One of the primary things that we see about love in John is that love produces action. And so our love is is indicating something But secondarily, our actions and how we do things are an indicator of what our loves are. And so 
proper love that we see John um, telling us about is, is found in 1 John in three or four different statements. In, in chapter 2, verse 5, in him the love of God is perfected. So the love of God does something. Our loves do something. When we love something, it generally causes us to do something. In verse uh, 3, in chapter 3, verse 16, by this we know he loved us. He laid down his life for us. It's kind of interesting that 1 John 3.16 says that. And of course, John 3.16 says, God loves the world enough that he sent Christ. I find it quite interesting that the numbers match up there. I don't know if that was intentional, but it's kind of unique. Our love force an action. Our love is expressed in chapter 3, verse 18. Love is expressed in deed and in truth. And so love produces action. So what we love will ultimately be seen in the way we behave. We'll consider later... What do we do about that? But the second word that we see here that we need to understand is the world. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. In verse 16, for all that is in the world. And also, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And in 17, the world is passing away. We have a couple options here. Um, The world can be considered the earth, the cosmos, um, if you want to say, everything that belongs in the earth. It could be anything that is not particularly Christian. Um, so we have the, the sacred versus secular division in, in, our, in our world. Um, or thirdly, and I think is what he's intending to say here, is the presence or the power of evil, the world that is opposed to God. And so John isn't saying here that the creation is what is against God, or that it's the creation that we're not to love, but he's saying the misrepresentation of the creation that the devil brings, that Satan brings, that evil brings. Those are the things that we're to be against, that we're to be looking for in our lives, that we're to be pushing back. The third word I'd like us to consider is, what is desire? Uh, Desire here is a a key word. And desire is simply the expression of your love. What you truly value, what you truly love, is going to be wrought out in your desires. It's within those desires that we have a mirror that shows us what we love. And so, if you want to know what you truly love, then you consider what you desire. He says here that if we love the world, then the desires that are going to manifest that are desires of the flesh, our appetites. It's going to be the desires of the eyes, the thing that we find pleasing and beautiful. It's going to be the pride in life. It's going to be our desires for accomplishment and for worth. And it's in these three desires that he asks us to consider. 
I think it's interesting, uh, if you turn with me to Genesis 3, verse 6, we see a fairly similar statement. I begin reading in Genesis 3 um, at verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And here's the key verse. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. This is the origin, the first act of the evil world entering into the earth. And what appealed in the tree were the same things that John is warning us of here. The fruit was beautiful. It was to be desired. It was to make one wise. It was to bring about pride in one's own wisdom. And so these desires are not um, otherworldly desires. They're quite normal to us in human life. And so the, the desires of the flesh are internal desires. They're desires of appetites. And we see them fleshed out in things like um, gluttony. That's probably one of the primary, primary ones. But it's an inordinate attachment to our desires for what our flesh would like. And we live in a culture and where we can satisfy those desires fairly, fairly easily. The second is the desires of the eye. And these are external desires, things I see that I want, things that are about making my world particularly beautiful to me, things that are attractive. And the third desire, then, is the pride of life. I want to be able to look at myself in the mirror and find success. I want to be happy at what I've become. I look at what I've accumulated, and I find rest in that. We have Jesus speaking the parable of the rich fool who was successful, and he said... Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This was a man who placed his worth, his pride, his goals for the future in the fact that he had accomplished, he had accumulated. We see in Acts, Ananias and Sapphira choosing to lie so that they could be seen as living a worthy life. They had pride in their, in their goods. And they wanted to be seen among the church as a godly individual, but they also wanted their money, and they placed their pride in that life. And so I think it's key for us to understand for ourselves that this not loving the world is not about um, setting ourselves apart in a merely cultural sense. It's not that we look at how the world 
behaves and we say, we don't want to be like that, and so we choose to do something different. It's not that we look at the the people around us to find a baseline, but it's that we consider what are the desires of the eye? What are the desires of the flesh? What is the pride of life in us, in each of us individually? Because what you find desirous in the flesh What you find as the pride of life is going to be different from mine. It's probably 300 different ones of those in here because we all have desires that work out of our person. And so I think our text calls us to three particular applications. The first is do not love the world. And you might say, well, duh, that's what the... It's what it says. It says, do not love the world. I think the first key here for us is to cultivate an awareness of our loves. Because you may ask the question, how do I love the world? How do I know if I'm loving the world? And so first, we need to cultivate an awareness of our loves. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance. I think within Scripture, the language of the heart and the language of love is is very similar because when, when Scripture speaks of the heart, it's speaking of the seat of desire. It's speaking of that which drives our behavior. It's speaking of that which is most valuable to us. And so, how do we cultivate an awareness of our loves? I think there's a couple ways we do this, and we ask ourselves these questions. What are the things that make you angry? What are the things that make you angry? Now, anger, the emotion, is not necessarily a bad thing. I would say that if a person came to me and said, I've never gotten angry. I've never exposed anger. I've never displayed anger. And I would say to that person, you're in denial of your reality. (laughs) Anger is merely telling us that something we love is being threatened. Okay? And so if a man threatens my daughter, you best believe I'm going to be angry. Because I love her. I don't want her damaged. And I don't want her ruined. I care for her. That doesn't mean I rage, okay? That doesn't mean I go to violence. But anger is merely a gauge on the instrument cluster that says something you love is being threatened. Scripture instructs us, though, to be angry and sin not. So again, that that expression of anger is not about rage or bringing something to bear on another individual. It's just a warning sign that says, again, something you love is being threatened. And so when you find yourself becoming angry, that's a moment to sit back and say, one of my loves are being threatened. And what is that love? Sometimes we find that our anger is righteous, probably rarely. Generally, we find that somebody just stomped on one of our idols, and it makes us angry because something we love is threatened. 
Secondly, what are the things that make you proud? What are the things that make you think well of yourself? Now, joy in accomplishment, again, is not always a bad thing. A job well done is to be celebrated. A goal accomplished is to be celebrated. Service given in honor of a good cause is to be celebrated. But selfish, me-centered attachment to accomplishment will eventually ruin our soul. So what are the things that make you proud? If that pride is only me-centered, then it ultimately places ourselves on the throne of our lives. And we see the goal of our life is to bring about a more developed me. Thirdly, what are the things you sacrifice for? Again, these are the gauges on the instrument cluster. What are the things you sacrifice for? Sacrifice is one of the primary Christian virtues. The passage that Brian read said, such as love, that a man laid down his life for his friend. And he's, of course, speaking of Jesus there, but I think he's speaking of us. Each of us are called as Christians to lay down our life, to sacrifice what's comfortable and value for me. But sometimes we sacrifice other things as well. We put away this because we want something else. We sacrifice sleep uh, to get up early and run because, well, it might be for healthful reasons, but it might be because we want to be seen as a runner. Or we, we generally sacrifice for the things we love. And so again, the sacrifice is another gauge on our engine of love. What do we love? What we sacrifice for is going to point that out. Fourthly, what are the things you idealize? If you could sit down and and make a list of all the things that you idealize, like if I could have this, that's what would make me happy. The whole the the, the random. What if I won the lottery? You know, if I want, if I got thirty million dollars, what would I do with it? What you idealize is, again, another gauge for what you love. Generally, we'd give most of it away to uh, charity to make ourselves feel good, and then we would buy the Ferrari and the mansion and all, right? Well, if, if we go down that line, again, we're exposing what we truly love. Fifthly, what is your quest? What, what is the purpose of your life? Think of yourself at age 70, maybe age 90, and ask yourself, if I was there and I had achieved these things, I would be successful. And what's your quest to do that? Any, anytime you find yourself chasing that quest, those quests are not bad. 
Every one of us is on a quest. Every one of us is, is going somewhere or attempting to go somewhere. But again, it's a gauge that shows us, what is my love? In considering our loves, probably the final exercise that we should do in that is to compare our love, our loves to the loves of God. And God is kind enough that he's told us these things. And Scripture is a description of what God loves. In Micah 6.8, he says, He has told you, a man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And so, in, in a sense, if a mechanic is going to work on a car, he's going to look at those gauges And he knows what they ought to look like. In a sense, that's what Scripture is doing for us. It's telling us this is what the gauges ought to look like. This is what your loves ought to be. You should love justice. You should love mercy. You should love God and walk humbly before him. Another part in understanding our loves is to deny the loves that lead you away from Christ. And our passage tells us that. Do not love the world. Deny the loves that the world gives you. Put them to death. Because eventually, it's going to pass away. Jesus uses the language of amputation when it comes to denying these loves. Generally, we're happy to say, well, obviously, God doesn't want us to sin. And so we put away sin, and that's for sure a part of this. But sometimes, sometimes this denying of our worldly loves means denying ourselves good things. We can take good things, and we can love them more than we love God. We can make an idol of all manner of good things. Proverbs 4 continues on. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. And so the first application for us is to deny the worldly desires that we find. The second application is to love God. Matthew 22, verse 36 and 37, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. It's interesting that he orders them that way. He says heart and soul and mind. And so, in, in the denying portion, we're considering what are my loves? How do I understand them? And in this portion, we're considering what are the ways that we cultivate our love towards God? I use the word cultivate specifically 
Because if, if you wish something from a garden, you're going to spend some time in there. You're going to root out the things that don't belong, yes, but you're also going to be preparing the soil to do something it's intended to do. And in the very same way, each of us is to love God. As we mentioned, first and foremost is a recognition that we don't always do that well. But secondly, we've got to begin thinking about the ways in which we grow our love to God. We want to be growing and becoming more loving towards God. We want to know Him and allow that knowing to shape our desires. And so, first of all, we must consider that the heart is the seed of desire. And the first way to cultivate our love of God is to cultivate the desires within our hearts. And so if you truly want to fight sin, yes, discipline and, and purposing to not do certain things and to do certain things is important, but it's most important to understand what is the desire that forces that behavior. Because every sin we have sources from a love, from a desire. And so I think the ways to cultivate is the converse of what, or is the opposite of what we see in 16. We don't find the desires of the flesh in ourselves. We don't seek to work that out there, but we find in Him ultimate joy and ultimate pleasure. We don't search for what our eyes find beauty, but we have that brought into an understanding of what God says is beautiful, how He describes, and we see Him as the ultimate beauty. We change from finding accomplishment and pride in ourselves to understanding that that ultimate meaning is found in Christ. This this is why the cultivation of our worship matters so much. We cannot haphazardly worship God. We cannot worship God simply from the overflow of our being. We must worship Him as He asks us to worship. I think worship and the way we go about it matters to God. Uh, if you look at the Old Testament and the way he carefully set up the worship of the tabernacle, I wonder if we are that intentional in the way we choose to worship. Or are we willing to settle for merely the overflow of our heart? Another way to cultivate our love of God is to pursue discipleship with our fellow believers, but in the presence of Christ. I think it's unique that Jesus chose 12 men and walked with them and lived with them and discipled them. He didn't just, poof, give them all of godliness. He probably could have done that. He could have changed them in an instant, but he didn't. He walked with them. He shepherded them. He put up with their foibles. He forgave them. But he came back around after their betrayal and said, Lovest thou me? Feed my sheep. He came and he loved them and he discipled them and he brought them along. 
And so we pursue that regular daily interaction with Christ so that we are discipled into his image. You may look at these and uh, you may say, you've given me a lot of work. It's not easy work to go meandering through our desires and attempting to figure them out. It's not easy work to become like God, to love God. But John has given us a foundation to do this. And it's the foundation we considered in our last uh, text. And that's the foundation that we see in 12, 13, and 14. We chase after the renovation of our desires. We chase after becoming like Christ because of His work on our behalf. This is not a work that begins in us. It's a work that He's already started. It's because on the cross, He forgave our sins. It's because in the beginning, He created the standards of beauty It's because the Word of God abides in us. As we go on in 1 John, the word abide is going to be primary and central. And really, I think you could take love and abide and and swap them. Because to love means to abide. It means to be with, to live with, to belong Let's have a song.